Before we jump into this morning, um, there's something I need to talk with you all about. Um, Yesterday, or Friday, I guess it was, was the memorial service for Jim Griffith. And many of you may not know him, and may not know him in our valley. Um, And Jim took his own life a week ago this Sunday. And some of you may say, why would you say that? Isn't that kind of harsh? I come from a different environment. And I come from an environment where we talk about such things. I come from the United States military. Where soldiers, sailors, marines, airmen, take their lives way too often. And so we have suicide prevention training and we talk about this a lot. And suicide is is a really hard thing for us to fathom. About what could cause a person to do that. Even a person who claims to be a Christian. What could cause a person to not look into the eyes of Jesus and gaze into him and see how wonderful he is and his ability to get us through tough times. Sometimes people develop tunnel vision in their lives and tunnel vision is a pretty good descriptor of what takes place when somebody sees their problems weighing in on them so heavily that they can see no other way out but that one way. If you know of people who are hurting like that and you sense in them that they are thinking about it. You bringing this up to them and saying to them, are you thinking about taking your life? Are you thinking about harming yourself? And saying this directly to them, you are not going to put the idea in their head. I promise you it's there. It is loving and it is Christ-like to be there for people in those hours of need. You don't need to be a clinical psychologist. You don't need to have the breadth of all knowledge of scripture memorized in your back pocket. People need a friend in those moments. A week ago this last Friday, or Thursday night, a week ago this last Thursday night, Christy said, Scott, somebody, Chris and Cremona, a friend of mine from the military, he just messaged you. One of our fellow friends, whom I married him and his wife, he was planning on taking his life. And so I got on the horn with his wife and spoke with his wife. And she walks into the bedroom and she hands him the phone and he's laying down resting. She goes, you have a phone call. Now that's, that's some of you say that's some dirty pool there, right? But you know what? In those moments, you do everything because you want to see somebody wake up the next morning. She handed him the phone and we... And Andy and I, and I don't think I've ever pleaded with someone more in my life for the next 30 minutes. I spoke with him about the life that he has and the hope that he can have in Jesus Christ. He's not yet a believer. My heart broke for him as I heard him grieving in his heart as when he came home from deployment, one of our soldiers, he was the company commander, one of our soldiers, five days after coming home from deployment, took his life. Then, last year, another one of our soldiers, who 
had messaged me on Facebook to make contact with me and become a friend with me on Facebook, two days later took his life. Then in October of last year, his father took his life. He needed a friend. It wasn't that I had all the right words to say and all my training was necessary. It was just the fact he needed a friend and somebody to speak plainly with him and openly talk about that you don't want to do this. This is what will be left. This is what the heartache brings and there is hope to be had in Jesus Christ. As ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we of all people need to speak into those situations and circumstances. We of all people need not to be afraid to engage. Have those hard conversations. Be present in those moments of need. Sometimes there's nothing we can do or say. People are just have made that decision and they're going to do it. But let us, let us be the people there, present in their lives. That, As a dear friend with me said this last week, discipleship is messy. And you're maybe afraid to, to have those hard conversations because you're going, I don't know if I can handle it if I engaged them and they took their life. And so we don't engage. And we protect ourselves and we protect our hearts. Christ did not do that. Christ did not teach us to do that, to protect ourselves. He taught us to pour ourselves out for the ministry of the gospel. And I know this is kind of a rough way of what has this got to do with marriage and but I just wanted to take the time and address something that happened in our community and be open about it. Because I think being open about it and being clear about it is, is necessary and it's important for us to know and to understand. And maybe you've had somebody in your own life that's close to you take their life and that wound is deep and it hurts and it causes anger and it causes frustration and, and a lot of other emotions are evoked because of suicide. The bottom line is We have the opportunity to speak hope and truth into people's lives in these moments and to be present. Please be present. Care for those that are hurting. Depression is real. And a lot of people are suffering from it. And because of Jesus Christ, we have the hope to bring that can help people through those times. So I'd like to pray for our community once more and kind of pray for this service as we move into this time of talking about marriage and our second week to look at God's design for marriage. Father God, I pray for everyone here this morning. Lord, that all of us would begin to realize that we, if we are children of God, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, Lord God, that We have the Holy Spirit living within us. A spirit that doesn't bring us to fear and causes us to shrink away, but a spirit that gives us power, love, self-control, and the ability, Lord God, to engage our neighbors, our friends, our family members, where they're at. And Lord God, and to pour love upon them, the love that Jesus Christ so richly lavished upon us. For, Father, we were once all hopeless. We were once all devastated and in complete darkness. But because of Jesus Christ, we now have hope. We now have, can have peace and comfort. And, Lord, it's the peace and comfort that the world so desperately needs. Lord, I pray that we would be advocates 
in our community of that hope and peace. In Jesus' most wonderful and holy name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're going to continue to be looking. We're at Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, Jesus references Genesis 2. So we're actually going to read from this morning Genesis chapter 2. And you're like, Scott, didn't we just read that last week? Yep, and I think we need to keep reading it for a bit. We're going to, we've changed up the order of the series. I told you that might happen. We're still going to stick to four weeks, but um, next week I'm going to, this week I'm going to talk about God's design for marriage, specifically the relationship between husband and wife. The, the relationship between the husband and wife should be the primary relationship, should be a permanent relationship, should be an exclusive relationship, should be an intimate relationship. We're going to look at all four of those things. I believe that they're found within the text of Scripture here. As we, as you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Chapter 2 is the second chapter there. And so we're looking and starting at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, and the two shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The premise of this series, as we look at this, and we're going to quickly go back and kind of retrace our steps last week, the basis for which Christ can call us in Matthew chapter 2, when he's giving instruction, he's responding to the Pharisees' question about divorce. Remember, that's the basis of this. He is responding to the Pharisees because the Pharisees have basically stated that, hey, can, can people get divorced? And, and Jesus is going to respond to, hey, this is what God created marriage to be. This is what, what God made marriage to be. And so that's why we go back. And because of Jesus Christ coming, and because of His redemption that He brings, we start out here with the creation. In Genesis 2, God created things. He made Adam and Eve in this beautiful, wonderful marriage relationship. It's powerful. But Adam and Eve rebelled. Against God. And because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, not only was creation fall, falling, not only was mankind in there going into sinful rebellion against God and sinning against one another, but part of that fall was also the marriage relationship also became a huge struggle. God made it perfect. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden before the fall, did not have the struggles that you and I face today in our marriage relationship. Been married 21 years, and I would love to say it's all been bliss, okay? But you know I would be lying, right? And I don't want to lie to you, okay? So we're not going to do that this morning. So we understand that if you've been married for any time at all, that marriage relationships are tough, and they're tough because of the fault. 
But because of Jesus Christ come, he came and he did, through Jesus Christ, he's coming to redeem all things and renew all things in himself. And we see that redemption available to us now and through the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished. And as he reigns in our hearts and he reigns in our lives and he's taking control of every area and aspect of our life, we begin to understand what, what he made it in t- initially for us to enjoy. And part of that renewal, part of that redemption, is our married lives. And so our intention as we go through this series is not for you to gain Scott Morris's opinion on what marriage should look like. Because if I give you my opinion, it's not going to be a very good understanding of what marriage should look like. But we look to Jesus Christ, we look to the scriptures to see what does marriage look like. And we're talking about this, and some of the folks in our, in our room this morning are married, they've been married for a while, some people may be married for a short time, um, some people are divorced in this room, some people are divorced and remarried, some people are widowed in this room, and, and so what we need to understand then is that why go through this series and understand all this information about marriage if it doesn't apply to me? It applies to everyone in this room because all of you have contact with married people. Raise your hand if you have contact with married people. Okay, very good, right? And all of you are going to have this opportunity to give input and advice to the married people's lives. And so it would be very good for you to have an understanding of what Jesus Christ came to redeem in our married lives and get back to this thing that, that God created is beautiful and is wonderful and it's amazing. And so this week, we're going to talk about this relationship God created. But last week, in order to get to this week, we talked last week about God created man and woman to worship Him. That is why we were created. Pastor once stated that the, he goes, I would even argue that every single divorce that he's ever encountered with a married couple that was Christians, that the reason the divorce took place is because one of them took their eyes off Jesus. And because they took their eyes off Jesus Christ, that marriage failed. <coughs> we were created to worship God. And so that has got to be our beginning place as we understand marriage. We were created to worship and glorify God alone. And we worship and glorify God. That set things, the parameters, right within the marriage relationship. We weren't created men. We weren't created to worship our wives. They can't handle that. They can't handle being our God. They will let us down and they will hurt us. Only God alone is the perfect father, the faithful father, who will never let us down, never hurt us. He is the faithful one. Our wives are not meant to be that. Wives, your husband's not meant to be that either. He's not meant to be worshipped. We'll let you down quicker than jump. May not even get out of the parking lot today before we let you down. Okay? So, just letting you know that. We are not created to be worshipped. Only God alone is created to be worshipped. And so we have to have that right relationship with God in order to have a wonderful and vibrant marriage. God also, last week we talked about, created man and woman unique. And in our culture, in our today, today, everybody wants to say to destroy that uniqueness between man and woman. And I would like to say, let's celebrate the uniqueness between man and woman. God made man to be the spiritual heads of the home, to lead the home. When we get to heaven, stand before God, men, we are going to be accountable for how we led our families. And let me charge you, if you've given up, that role in your marriage, that unique role that God has given you, and you've laid that aside as the spiritual leader of your home, go back lovingly, graciously, apologize to your wife today, and say, I'm so sorry for not lovingly leading this family spiritually to something that God has called me to do, and I have not done it well, 
and I want to start doing it well. Together, let's start being the marriage that God wants us to be, having this marriage that God wants us to have together. And that that's, God created men to lead, to lovingly lead, to be the spiritual leaders of our home. And God created these wonderful, amazing women in our lives to be our helpmates, encouragers, and supporters in marriage in this relationship. And that no role is better than the other role. And that's something, a misconception, that we feel that, well, if he's a spiritual leader, then isn't his role better than my role? No, 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 no. Both roles are equally important in God's eyes. Equally important. And we need to celebrate the uniqueness in which God made man and woman. We also looked at last week that God created Adam and Eve for this need to be married. It's the one thing God created that it says in Genesis wasn't good. God, Adam was alone, right? And it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And we see God created Adam and had all these animals brought before him and he named them and he saw that they were male and female and he saw that he did not have that life companion, that someone to share life with and enjoy life with and Adam had this need and this longing. But it was a need and longing that wasn't negative but positive. And it was positive because God made it within Adam to have this need. He didn't need his wife to worship her to fill a void that God couldn't, but he, he had this need because God made Adam to need to be married to Eve. And that's a positive thing, not a negative thing. I think, again, not to be worshipped, but to join and celebrate God and worship God together. Yeah. God also created Adam and Eve for the sexual intimacy relationship. This beautiful, pure thing that happens after one is married and then they get to join together in union and glorify God as they join together in sexual intimacy. God made Adam and Eve for this relationship. And so that's, that's where we spent our time last week looking at how God made Adam and Eve. He designed them wonderfully, uniquely for this marriage relationship. So this week we're going to move, and as we move forward into this, we are looking at then this wonderful and amazing relationship that we have with God. So as we look at marriage and divorce this week, the first thing we're going to look at here as we look at this is that God created Adam and Eve in this relate into a relationship that Adam and Eve's relationship is to be the primary relationship. The relationship that, that is foremost together. As Adam created, as God brought Adam and Eve together, he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh together. This is a beautiful and a wonderful and a powerful statement. As we look at this, he brought the two together to be into this incredible, wonderful relationship that is to be primary. Why is it so important that Adam and Eve's relationship is to be the primary relationship? Well, we've seen this take place within families, within friends, that when the kids grow up, if the kids together... If the kids and mom and dad, and mom and dad do everything for the kids. They serve the kids. They're all constantly running around taking care of the kids, and they don't tend to their marriage and make the marriage that primary relationship that they're tending to, worshiping God in. Then guess what happens when the kids leave the home? Oftentimes, we have what we call empty nest syndrome. 
which is kind of can be used as a negative thing as we look at this husband and wife now go, who are we? Who are you? I only know you as the one who helped me raise these kids. I don't know you as my wife anymore. And the wife's turning to the husband and saying, who are you? Do we even have a relationship anymore? What does it look like for us to love each other, date each other? And it's shocking to see how many divorces take place at the 25 and 20 year mark. What happens at the 25 and 20 year mark? The kids leave. But they spent so much time pouring everything they had into the kids that they've forsaken that primary relationship. Well, what about mom and dad? Mom and dad are important. Mom and dad are wonderful and we're to honor our parents. But what does the text say here? Now, what's very interesting is who's writing this text? Well, Moses is. Moses isn't writing this to Adam. Did Adam have a mom and dad? No, have you ever stopped to think about this passage? Adam didn't have a mom and dad. Why is Moses writing this? Because Moses is wanting them to understand that, listen, you're going to honor your father and mother, but one of your honoring, the way you're honoring your father and mother is to properly understand your relationship that you have with your spouse. That we cut those apron springs. Now, now we got kids. I have kids. And, and I often joke, I'm really close to my boys, especially. And I, Christy and I have joked around, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to mourn and weep the most when Ethan leaves the house. I mean, Christy enjoys Ethan, loves Ethan, is close to Ethan, but I'm telling you what, I have a blast with that kid. And thinking about him growing up, and I, you know, as a dad, you want your son to grow up, become the man that he's supposed to be, but I have a blast with that kid. And then when Elijah leaves, I'm going to be lost. Three women in the house, and y'all need to pray for me at that point, okay? <laughs> Two teenagers to boot at that time, so it, it'll be good times. And But, you know, as I, but when I looked for my son to grow, and he's, Getting into dating relationship now, uh, is, he has a girlfriend, and uh, his girlfriend and his, their family are staying with us this weekend. Um, and they, you know, we're at the Ethan. I think that's why Ethan pitched so well yesterday. It was the first time he pitched in front of his girlfriend. But as they advance in this relationship, Ethan's coming to me asking me a ton of questions about this relationship right now. But if, if God sees fit and they go on and I'm not setting any expectations or whatever and, and later on go down the road and they get engaged and they get married, I'm going to have to turn to my son and say, no, you cleave to her and she cleaves to you. We're here as a supportive role, but you guys got to figure things out together. One of the best things God did for Christy and I as Christy and I had a, we're, 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 we're kind of knuckleheads. We do things the hard way. Please don't pattern and tell people to pattern their, their young married lives after us. Christy and I had been married a year when she joined the army. She left for basic training in November after we'd been married a year. We were gone apart for, as she went through basic training in her AIT for nine months. I was staying at home, finishing up college. I enlisted during that time because I was not going to be a dependent. Not going to happen. Then I left for basic training in May when she got sent to Korea after graduating. I went through basic training in AIT and met up with her in Korea. One year of not living together, been married two years. Got to Korea, couldn't live together in Korea because it was a hardship to her. So spent the next year not living together. By the time, we still figured some things out. Because by the time we got back, she was six months pregnant. 
Okay. And uh, six months pregnant, and and we had not lived together. We'd been married three years and only lived together one of them. But God did a major thing as we got pulled away from our families, and I was a mama's boy. I ain't gonna lie. And struggled and cleaving to my wife and treating her as the helpmate God made her to be for me. But in Korea, we were forced to the intimate relationship to kind of not be the primary relationship, but that friendship really grow and strengthen and, and trusting each other. And God did an amazing thing during that time. So God established and showing me, Christy has to be that primary relationship with me, for me. We want that for our kids. We want them to leave and cleave. We want them to understand that, yes, they're part of our lives and we want to be part of them, but they need to go through and have those hard conversations with each other. We point our kids and, and their relationships and their with their spouse back to one another. And hopefully, you know, as I look around this room, you know, there older folks are in here more. So, and, but, so you're not really running to mom and dad anymore on asking them questions. But sometimes we can turn to other people. We can turn to friends, our lady friends, or our guy friends, and we can ask them the things that we should be asking our spouses. And so I challenge you, is your marriage your primary relationship? And as you counsel others, and as you spend time with others who are married, that's a great question for them. Is that your primary relationship? Or are you still trying to struggle to, you know, you're living your life out through your kids or you're living your life out through doing that. And sometimes we can even in honoring our parents, as, as some of you have older parents that you're taking care of. And that's a wonderful thing to honor your parents. You know, Roger Kirk, who just lost his mom uh, two weeks ago, he honored his mom, and he wasn't married, but he just took care of her and loved on her. But those of you who are married and have this marriage relationship, you still have to take care of that primary relationship, even in the midst of doing that and honoring your mother and father. We have to take the time, date night, spending time together in the Word, encouraging each other's faith, laughing together, having fun together, doing things together, traveling together, Breaks my heart when I've got a couple sitting before me and they're saying, yeah, we take vacation. He goes and does his thing and I go do my thing. And I'm like, you don't vacation together? What? That, that breaks my heart because I'm telling you what, I will love going on vacation with my wife. Getting out of here and having fun and laughing and being silly and letting go because things can get kind of heavy in life and, and all the, the, the weights of life and you want to encourage each other and have fun together. It needs to be the primary relationship. God made it to be that wonderful primary relationship. The next week, we're going to spend the whole Sunday talking about marriage is the illustration, the illustration of Christ's relationship with the church. And I, I feel like we we're going to try to do it today, but look at the time already. You're like, no way you can tack that on. And you're like, you've already got three more points to go through, Scott. You need to get up. All right, hurry up. Christ calls us to properly understand that marriage needs to be the primary relationship. He also calls us to understand that marriage is a permanent relationship. Companionship 
requires that marriage be a permanent relationship. This is this follows from it being the primary relationship. You, your children are with you in your home a few years. Your partner is with you for life. Your spouse is with you for life. Cleave means to cling to as bone to skin. It means to be glued to something. So when you get married, you're stuck. And hey, before you sit there, that's right. That's right. She's, I'm stuck with her. Uh, she's probably stuck with you. Okay, so just be, you know, come on now. All right. In Matthew 19, 6, Jesus says this, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Brothers and sisters, we've got to understand this. God joins you together. God knits you together. God draws you together. God is supposed to be in the center of our relationship, and it is a permanent, lifelong relationship. This means the relationship must be built primarily on commitment, not on feelings of romantic love. Let me repeat that. Your marriage is a covenant relationship. It is not a contract that can be violated and broken when one person in the relationship feels like their needs aren't being met or they've fallen out of love. I hate that terminology. I hate a strong word. I hate that I've fallen out of love. Well, you're married though. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. Emotions and feelings are like a roller coaster ride. Up and down with twists and turns and drops and falls and climbs and emotional highs and emotional lows and yeah, I rolled over next to my wife and I looked at her and if, if emotions would have been my heartbeat, I'd be dead. And her with me. But at those moments, it was most important that I understand I was created to worship. I was created to worship my God. And my God, because of my worship in Him and creation to worship Him, says, you know, it doesn't matter what my emotions are in that moment. I worship Him by remaining committed to my marriage. And we're going to work through this. And what's really cool is emotions do return. And those feelings and the passion returns. It's this understanding, though, that it's a covenant relationship. And when the emotions flatline, you start going, as husbands, hear me clearly, when things are rough in the marriage, your question should become, what am I doing wrong? Not... What is she doing wrong? And wives, when things get hard, what am I doing wrong? Where do I need to work on my relationship and draw closer to my husband? Not where is he doing something wrong? You want a relationship that lasts, understand that it's two sinners joined together. And that when we're struggling in our relationship, we need to be asking ourselves, where is Christ not reigning in my life so that I'm not seeing where to serve my wife well or serve my husband well? You see, commitment is what holds a couple together through the difficulties that will come. A Christian couple should never use the threat of divorce as leverage in a conflict. Seen this over and over again. We're not getting our way. We don't feel like we're being hurt. So we drop the D word. 
two times in my married life, I thought for sure Christy and I were headed for divorce in both of those times. We were both so into ourselves and what we felt we needed to have out of the relationship and that the other person wasn't providing for us. And that's how we got there. We need to understand, brothers and sisters, that it's a permanent relationship. And don't be afraid to say that to somebody. Don't be afraid to speak into somebody's life who's having a hard time saying, saying to them, you know what? You guys made that covenant commitment together. Stick through it. God can provide forgiveness and healing and grace. You see, that's why I can say this. It's a permanent relationship. And some of you say, but you don't understand. But look, Jesus Christ came to redeem marriage, to provide forgiveness so marriages can last. So that marriages can be permanent. Jesus Christ makes it possible so that we can forgive and overcome those moments. It's all because of Jesus. It's because of the gospel that we can talk like this and understand this. And that marriage can be permanent. We also understand that marriage is an exclusive relationship. Notice what the text says here about Adam. It doesn't say to Adam, his wives, plural, does it? No, no, no. His wife. A man, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Singular. I'll never forget one of the most humbling moments of my short-lived teaching tenure as far as like being a professor type teacher. I went to Nigeria to a, do a conference on biblical theology, basically how to teach the Bible and talk about the Bible in context to the culture in which you live. It might have helped if I would have understood the culture of Nigeria a little bit better. Um, because I uh, went and did this conference for pastors, and the room was about 40, 50 pastors in this room, and um, one of the pastors stood up, and he said, well, tell me, then, why can't we have multiple wives as, as they did in the Old Testament? And um, I wasn't ready for that question. <clears throat> Thank goodness the missionary was on standby right next to me, jumped in and saved my bacon, okay? Because that was headed in the wrong direction quickly. Um, but I've since understood and it, what God allowed in the Old Testament is what God did not design. Because remember what happened. The fall. If you want to understand what marriage is supposed to look like, you go before the fall. You go to what God made it to be. And God made it to be one man and one woman joined together as the primary relationship permanently, exclusively. Well, so some of you in here in this room are going, you know what? Hey, Scott, I've done that. You know, I'm, I'm married to my wife. You know, and we've, I've not been with any other women. And I've not, you know, cheated on my wife that way. When we talk about exclusive relationship, we're not just talking about what we've done physically, but also with our mind and our eyes. And men and women both. The issue of pornography is both on both sides because of how easily accessible it is on the internet. Men and women are both struggling. Are we exclusive? 
in our marriage relationship with our eyes and our hearts? And we're cleaving to our wives for every aspect of that understanding and that relationship. We're looking to her and saying, you know what? I'm looking to, to my wife to provide those needs for me. That she is the most beautiful woman in the world. And, and our wives grow older and we grow older, man. I think we have a dis, you know, misconception of our health, man, that we think that we're still 18, you know, strapping, right? We're not 18 anymore, man, okay? And, and we've gotten older too, and she is looking to you and she's saying, you know what, I love you. Even though, you know, the wrinkles and the chest falling into the drawers and all that stuff going on, okay? And that love only grows stronger together. And we look for our wives and our husbands to provide those needs. We don't look outside of our marriage. Monogamy is God's design. One man, one woman for life. This means that when you get married, you give up close friendships with women, men, other than your wife. And you give up the freedom to go out with the guys whenever you choose. And you have a new relationship with your wife. And she is now your first priority in terms of human relationships. And let me tell you this. Hear this. For our single folks in this room, or for our folks that are maybe counseling others that are about ready to get married, or speaking into their lives. If you can't handle this, you're not ready for marriage. And that's okay. Wait. Have fun. Go out with the guys. Go fishing. Go hunting. Go build race cars. Go do whatever, you know, computers, whatever, you know, playing video games, hanging out, doing it. If that, that's what you enjoy doing, and, then, and you're not ready to say, you know, I'm ready to set those, you know, childish things aside, as Paul said, and grow up and become a man, right? Do the things that a man's supposed to do. Take care of your spouse, primary relationship, permanent relationship, exclusive relationship. If you're not ready for that, that's okay. Don't get married. And do me a favor. Don't date. There are too many wonderful Christian girls out there right now that have been suckered into dudes that won't commit. Guess what? Speak into the lives of those people. Hey man, how long have you been dating? Two years. Is this the one for you? Oh yeah, I think so. Then where's the ring? When are you planning on marrying her? Wow, I don't think I'm ready for that commitment. Then break up with her. Because she deserves someone who will commit being that husband that she needs. And vice versa, girls, because there's just as many girls out there stringing guys along. Dating is a preparation. Ethan is dating right now. And he is discovering, my oldest son, the traits and the things that he is looking for in a future wife. That's what he's discovering right now. And that's why it's so important that mom and dad are very active in that relationship. He gets grilled, poor kid. But what's really cool is he, I don't have to grill him. He just comes and talks with me and we just have the greatest conversations about it. Dating is preparing us to be married. And, and if that's not our heart's intention and desire, then let's not. Let's not. And you have the right to encourage and especially when it's your own kids. Please feel like you have the right to speak into your kids' lives. You raised them. Cherish them. You love them. Speak into their lives lovingly with compassion, God's truth, and encourage them. It's an exclusive relationship. 
Finally, this is a very intimate relationship. And they shall become one flesh. They will have a very sexually intimate relationship that God designed purely. Not sexually immoral. And God designed this relationship to take place within the confines of marriage. I forgot to bring in my relationship attachment model board, but it's a great board that shows that as commitment as people communicate, as people talk with one another, and people are there with one another, their trust levels go up, that when you put the sexually intimate relationship, when you put sex in front of all these other things, you destroy trust, commitment, all these other things that are supposed to be a part of marriage life. When sex precedes those things, it is outside of God's intention for you. And you now struggle and fight. And last week I shared, I know that personally. I know what that feels like and the hurt and the shame. I treated my wife for the first year of my marriage like a piece of meat that God gave me to satisfy me. And I devastated her for over a year of my marriage. As we tried to recover from that sin, God made it so that we get married, we form this incredible friendship without the physical. And this relationship and friendship and trust, and we build this and so that we know how to communicate effectively together. We know how to have wonderful conversations. We know how to fight fair. We've, we've had arguments. I mean, even in the dating room, we're going to have arguments, you know, work through those things and work through those times. And so that when you get married, then the, the sexual relationship is, is like the icing on the cake. It's not the bedrock foundation of the relationship. It's what draws you together and makes it all so much sweeter when it's done right in a pure way. The statistics are staggering. 75% divorce rate for those who have engaged in premarital sex. 75%. Thank goodness for the grace of God. Thank goodness for Jesus Christ coming and providing forgiveness and grace and redemption and so that not all of us need to be that statistic. God designed it this way to have this kind of relationship, a relationship that is primary, a relationship that is permanent, a relationship that is exclusive, and a relationship that is intimate between a husband and wife. Please, 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 Apply these things to your own marriage. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I've done well in, in one of these categories or two or three, but I'm not, one of these areas I'm really struggling. There's something we need to understand about the sexual intimate relationship that I need to speak to. The church has done a really poor job of talking about the beauty of this relationship. The world is speaking very loudly. Good luck turning on the television and watching a single almost commercial ad that isn't sold by some kind of sex ad. You know, it's out there. And they're giving a very loud voice into our children's lives about the sexual relationship. And they're saying it's all good. It's all about the moment. It's all about right now. And moms, dads, grandmas and grandpas, if your kids... Grandmas and grandpas aren't speaking into your grandkids about this, then take it upon yourself. Your kids will get over it. Somebody's got to counter the world's talk. 
Somebody's got somebody's to speak this truth in their life. That God has this abundant relationship, this amazing relationship between husband and wife. I mean, you look at Adam's expression. You look at this time. Naked and unashamed. I mean, think about that. That is mind-blowing. Adam and Eve came together naked and, and, and unashamed. And for those of us, you, you know, on our wedding nights or, you know, when we came together, I mean, there's the awkwardness and there's the, but, and if it's done right, it's naked and unashamed and it's beautiful. Adam and Eve, there was nothing wrong with that relationship. It was beautiful, perfect, amazing. Do our kids know that sexuality and, and sexual relationship and marriage is not something to be laughed about and, and, and made fun of or dirty jokes about, but do they know that something's beautiful and it's amazing? I mean, there's been times in counseling where I've had to talk to a, a, a girl who grew up in the church, a really conservative church, and she she says, well, I'm, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to have that because it's just what I have to do. I'm doing my marital duty in that, in that aspect of our relationship. And he's feeling like, Oh my goodness, what am I doing? I mean, it's, it's rough. Because we have made this something dirty. This isn't dirty. Look at the account. It's beautiful. It's amazing when it's done within the redeemed way that Jesus Christ made it for us to enjoy. I've been, as my kids have been growing up, we've had lots of talks. And you can go ask my boys, has, has, has your dad talked to you about sex? And they'll be like, yep. And does he still talk about it? Yup. When is it supposed to take place? After I'm married. Is it a good thing? They'll tell you. It must be because mom and dad are always flirting with each other. I kiss my wife in front of my kids. I hold her hand. I rub her back. I rub her feet. I want my kids to know that the intimate relationship between a husband and wife is something amazing and abundant and something they should not be ashamed of. That they might understand what God created is amazing and it's wonderful. But the voices that we're raising our kids in, the voices your grandkids are being raised, the 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 voices of the world that you're living in right now are fighting hard against you. Do not be ashamed to speak the truth. Jesus Christ came so that this these relationships could be redeemed. So that the world that says, oh no, it's not primary. It's only primary if it meets your needs. That voice can be silenced as Jesus Christ says, no. I made it so they could be beautiful and wonderful and primary. And that as you serve me first and as you worship me first, you will understand my love for you even more as you serve your spouse. And permanent. The world says, oh, there's no such thing as permanent anymore. There's the moment. We live in the moment. Jesus says, oh no, we live for eternity. And that our marriage relationship, the permanency of our marriage relationship should reflect that we are eternal people living for the glory of God. an exclusive relationship. Wait a minute, exclusive? No, we must believe everything. You must try everything. You must open your heart. Don't be so narrow-minded. Don't, don't be so, so close-minded to other things. 
if you want this, then, then go be really risque. And over here, Jesus says, no, be exclusive. Put me first in your marriage relationship. Be exclusive to husband and wife, and you'll know each other deeper, more intimately. You'll begin to understand how intimately and deeply our Savior knows us and still loves us. How humbling is it to have what men is to have wives who know us so well and still get in the car with us and drive home. And same thing, wives. Your husband knows your intricacies and all those other things and, and still gaze into your eyes longingly. It's beautiful. That's because of Jesus Christ that this is possible. And intimate. We have this beautiful intimate relationship and the world says no. No, you, you need to expand your boundaries. You need to bring pornography into your bedroom. You need to be looking at others. Window shopping is okay. No, no, no. Jesus says, you want to know the beauty of that relationship? You want to know how amazing it can be? Gaze at her and her only. Gaze at him and him only. And I will show you an abundant relationship like you've never known before. See, that's available to us because of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, because he came to redeem these things and for us to have a relationship. It's all because of Jesus. That's how much he loves us. And this marriage relationship is renewed and redeemed because of him. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. I'm, a, I'm telling you what. And this is what we have to tell the world. This is what we can tell the world that it's out there right now and they're struggling in marriage relationships and they're wondering why things aren't working. Be that mouthpiece of God, please. Let your marriage be an example of this beautiful relationship God created to be that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his life. Wife, leave and cleave. Unite together. Draw together. Jesus made it possible to live this. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that because of our Savior Jesus Christ, because of what he accomplished on our behalf, Lord God, that we can have amazing, abundant marriages. As Adam was just drawn to Eve, the two of them together, united together, Worshiping and glorifying the God as, as a married couple and all the wonderful aspects of that relationship. Lord God, may we gain hope in our own marriages. May we gain understanding to speak into the marriages of others lovingly and compassionately with great encouragement because of what Jesus Christ made it possible for us to do. Thank you, Father, that you have loved us so much that you've spoken about marriage and you've taught us what marriage should look like. You gave us this incredible relationship to share life with. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. going to now move into a, a time of communion together. Very fitting as we talk about marriage and this wonderful thing that Christ has done so that we can have redeemed marriages and have a redeemed understanding of marriage. That we take time to celebrate what Jesus Christ did accomplish for us on the cross.
1 Corinthians 11, we read about Paul's instruction to the Corinthian church who <laughs> had a really messed up understanding. And when we go into divorce and talk more, we're going to dive in a little bit of 1 Corinthians and, and understanding where they struggled and understanding what marriage and divorce and that wonderful relationship looks like. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul speaks to the Corinthian church. He says, For what I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Taking of these elements unites us together in the body of believers in Jesus Christ. So we think upon what he did for us. He redeemed and is redeeming things through himself. And then someday we'll see these things fully redeemed in the coming kingdom. But right now we, we take of these elements to remember. And so this is for the church. This is for the body of Christ. If you're not a child of God this morning, I just ask that you let the elements go by. And nobody's sitting here judging and, and discerning who's taking it and who's not. And spend this time wrestling with and understanding what Jesus Christ has come to, re, to redeem and re, restore, redeem and restore and, and renew in us. He came so that we might have life in Him. He is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is the promised one. And He is the only one through which we can have faith or we can have hope in Jesus and hope at all and become part of the family of God. It also asks you to take some time this morning and maybe you need to lean over to your spouse this morning and say, you know what? I need to seek forgiveness from you before we take this together. In one of these areas I've been struggling and, and I want to do better. And pray and seek forgiveness and repentance and draw together and, and be washed. And be strengthened in your relationship. As Christ once again takes that forefront role in your relationship as you draw together. If I could have Dwight and Mike and Dave, if you could help me pass out the elements. We're going to pass out the bread. Then take it together and pass out the cup and then take it together. Christ was in the upper room with his disciples. He took the bread, he broke it. Said, this is my body. After supper, he took the cup. Saying, this cup, what would be my new Father God, we thank you so much for our wonderful Savior, Jesus. We look to Christ and Christ alone for hope to have the marriages that we need to have, to have the life that we need to have. And we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that we have been given empowers us and enables us to remember Christ's teachings. To remember what God said, that what God has joined together, 